everybody. Welcome back to an off-season edition of The Teardown. My name is Jeff Gluck, and I'm along with my coworker Jordan Bianchi. We are motorsports writers for The Athletic, and we are one week removed from the conclusion of the NASCAR season. One week ago tonight, Jordan, as we were recording this, we were standing on the racetrack, the backstretch at Phoenix, interviewing Kyle Larson. Um, yes, and now all of a sudden we're back in, separated by Zoom, separated by- I miss by, you, buddy. You do? I don't think yeah, you do. You miss me? No, we just saw each other. Like we literally just saw each other. Like I, I, you haven't given me enough time to miss you yet, Jordan. Wow. So you, glad you're my friend. What's, what's the threshold for missing someone? Isn't it like, if you saw someone yesterday, you wouldn't say I missed them, right? Well, if you care about them, you do. Maybe you really? like spending time with them all the time. So you miss your, if you leave out of town for a day and you don't miss your wife and kid. That's my wife kids? and kids, not my coworker, Jordan Bianchi. I thought, you know, I always thought I looked at you. You thought we were right friends. there. You, That's this cool. is like, That's this fun. is a bad news for, for Jordan. No, it's um, oh, depressing. That's great. Just give me some time, Jordan. Give me some time to miss everybody. I, I feel like I just saw everybody season just wrapped up and it's been nonstop really NASCAR news. Um, I mean, everything, one thing after yeah. another, Kyle Larson goes to the Coliseum for a promo event and there's just news, news, news. Crew chiefs everywhere. Like yep. I mean. And it'll continue like that, you know. Yeah, rides being announced and charters and all that stuff. Two, so. uh, two day test this week at Charlotte Motor Speedway, which I, I'm actually think is actually pretty big. And I'm very curious to see how that goes. And you missed NASCAR enough already that you're excited about going. I'm actually excited by this because I'm really curious by this test, which is a really weird thing to say. But we, we've we, we've seen how this car does on a road course. There's no surprises, and the feedback on the road course seems pretty encouraging. But Let's be candid. Uh, the conversations we've had with people about this car on ovals is much different. And there's not a lot of optimism right now. And spending two days um, with really kind of almost a full field or thereabouts, um, this is going to be telling to see where things are at and wh what progress has been made and what progress still needs to be made. Well, I would just encourage everybody not to read too much into a test because I learned that lesson, uh, what was it, 2018, I guess, um, when they were unveiling this package or whatever at Las Vegas. And I thought based on the Las Vegas, you know, simulated race or whatever, that it was going to be a certain way. And uh, it wasn't. And uh, I remember I your enthusiasm for that. I remember I, how excited you were. Like your video was great. And I just remember the enthusiasm that emanated from you about this, like, this is going to be great and awesome. And, you know, races on intermediate tracks are going to be all a game changer. And this is what NASCAR needs. And now, Jeff, what is your tune about this package on mile and a half racetracks? Well, more important, let's talk about the <laughs> fans tune, uh, because that's what we're going to get into today. And that is the, was it a good race poll data? Now, of course, um, each week, uh, every Monday morning or, or whatever the morning is after the race, if it was postponed or whatever, I never ask it the day of, cause I want everybody to sleep on it. Um, for the last six years now, almost every week, there's been some exceptions with, it's like, uh, you know, whether it's a scary incident or something like that, where it's not appropriate to ask people whether it was a good race or whatever the case may be. But for the most part, every race after the last, for the last six years, I've asked people whether it was a good race. Um, some people like this poll, some people don't like this poll, but it gives you sort of a feel for overall uh, what are the best races. Now, of course, you know, big caveat here. This is a Twitter poll. It's not scientific. So there's always <laughs> a danger into reading too much into it. Of course, it can be affected by, you know, maybe it was a good finish. Or maybe it was a controversial finish. Or maybe people didn't like the driver. Or maybe people don't like the package, as we found out this year with some of the results. But for the most part, I think maybe that affects it could be a big margin of error, five to 10%. But I think a lot of times it's, it's fairly in tune with what I saw, at least the Twitter sentiment was, or, and, and obviously we we're guessing, right? So we, we guess before we even do the poll each night. And a lot of times we're fairly close. So that said, I don't think it's that far off from what the reality is, but I'm, I'm not going to claim that it's exact numbers. Like if it would have been done by a professional polling firm, you know what I'm saying? I think that's important caveats. And I think you make a good point of how this, you know, you can criticize the poll and you can say it's Twitter and there's, there's a small sample size and whatnot. But when you look at the results, I think it is indicative 
of the overall sentiment, good and bad, of where some races are at in terms of what tracks they're at, what the package is. I, I think there is something to glean from this, and I'm curious to have this discussion with you. Looking at the numbers when you sent them over today, I was taken back, and they were, they're, we're going to get into it some more, but there were some races that made the good list that I was a little surprised at, and there were some races that made the bad list. I was like, okay, you know, I, I'd probably throw that one out. Or weather impacted one of the races significantly, and I was like, really? That 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 really seems almost unfair in some respects. So there's a lot to discern here in the information, but I think it's going to be interesting to see how people interpret this. But I personally think there there is something to learn from this. So um, I want to start with um, we're we're going to get into the top ten uh, best and worst races as voted on by the poll. But I want to start with this guy um, Ron H four five six. He's on Twitter and he's often quite grumpy with me. I'm not even sure he likes me at all, but, um, doesn't like you don't answer that question. Yeah. Plenty of people. Um, so, <laughs> but this guy, uh, sometimes he angry tweets me a lot, but, but he also is some sort of like data analyst or data, data scientist or something. And he takes the good race poll data and he pumps it into a bunch of charts and makes it sortable. Um, he has one of those tableau websites and it's a very long wink. So I, I can't, read the whole thing to you here. But if you go to his Twitter page, Ron four, five, six, uh, you, you could probably find it if you want to dive more into it. But I, I pulled some of the data of that, that he's crunched, um, from these, was it a good race poll numbers? So the first thing is, um, there's been six seasons now of the poll, right? And the number one year, uh, of the most of, in terms of average weekly poll, yes, percentage, was this season 70.8% and that beats last year, which was 67.5. That was number two. So Fox went into this year proclaiming it best season ever. I'm not sure it lived up to best season ever, but at least since the poll has been around Jordan, the fans, I mean, whether you knowingly or not uh, voted this way, you voted it. It's the best season of the last six years. Um, Does that resonate with you? Does that sound uh, accurate to you? It does. And it's something I have said on this podcast really throughout the year. I thought the racing was really good this year. At times it was exceptional and it was at exceptional at a lot of racetracks where maybe it wasn't great. You know, Atlanta um, had a good race, Pocono. We're going to dive more into that later, but I'm not surprised to see that this number is higher. And I think it's also important to note, and and this is another point I'm going to make later, but I think it's reflective of the schedule changes that NASCAR has made where you're seeing racetracks um, that don't put on good races being removed. You know, there was no Michigan, no Chicago, no Kentucky. Um, one, there was Dover. one Michigan. What was that? There was one Michigan, but not yeah, two. One, one Michigan, not two. Um, you know, one Dover race. Uh, Kentucky. You just you had that summer stretch. You know where, and I said this before, you you had for a long time there was that summer stretch of six, seven races where it just felt like this is this is doldrums. You know, this is not the best, and this is not the best product the best way for NASCAR to showcase its product. And you've gotten rid of some of those tracks and you've seen a change. And I think when you add more racetracks that put on a better show, you're going to get better results. And that's indicative. And I think that's kudos to NASCAR for realizing it. We've got to do something to schedule and change it up. And the results bear that out. So the worst year um, since it's been, the poll began was 2019, which seems fairly obvious to me because that was the year where they did not have a separate short track package. It was all the same package. And of course, as we know, uh, a 550 horsepower package uh, on short tracks was, it was not good. It, it ruined the short tracks for that season, essentially. And they were compelled to make a change on that. And since they did, um, the last two seasons have been better. Now, let's let's dive into the reason why this is happening and, and it's not going to, I'll tell you right now, if you're a 750 truther this is not going to necessarily make you happy. Parts will parts won't, but let's, let's break down the numbers. This is again, Ron H four, five, six crunch these numbers. So by package this season, we're talking about 2021 only by package, the low downforce 750 track ovals, which is essentially the short tracks one mile or less. 76.6% yes percentage. That's obviously the highest. The road courses, also 750 package, but separated for these purposes, 74%. The super speedways, um, for the most part, have had a very good package. Uh, they, they made a tweak to it uh, this year, but 
still pretty good racing, 72.7. Now you drop down to the 550 package, which are essentially all the intermediate tracks except for Darlington and Nashville this year. And that ends up with a 62.8%. Okay, so clearly you'd look at those numbers on the surface and say, well, duh, 750 beats 550. But here's the wrinkle, my friends. When you go back to the intermediate track numbers by year, people like this package more, the 550 package more than they did in the previous package. So, um, the, so this year, like, like last year, for instance, it got the 550 races got a 71.1, uh, no, sorry. That was 2019. Cause that included the short track as well. Uh, last year was 64%. So, um, now this year it dropped a little because if you separate Darlington and Nashville out, that's 80.2 and the, just the other intermediate tracks alone are 57.7, but still you go back to 2017, which was the lowest and that's 55.9. So I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you, but the bottom line is if you take just the intermediate tracks and compare them to just the intermediate tracks before they had lower horsepower and high downforce, the numbers are actually higher now. So NASCAR actually made these numbers go up with the rules package. I know it's long winded explanation, but that's what the numbers are saying with the good, was it a good race poll? And that made the season go up overall because it brought down some of the bad races. Your reaction, Jordan. I look at this number, these numbers and I say, it's not so much about the package. It's about the racetracks. And you look at the tracks where the racing wasn't very good. There's a common theme. It's mile and a half intermediate racetracks. Those have long been the bane of NASCAR's existence. There's been long, too many of them on on the schedule. They are now starting to get weeded out but there are still a number of them on the schedule. And if you look at the number of races where the racing where people voted against the racing, I don't think they're voting because of the package. I think they're voting because they didn't like the racing. You know, it, it could have been a 750 package on that mile and a half racetrack, but if it's not good, people are going to vote for it. That to me is my biggest takeaway where you, you can talk about the good and the bad of this package. And we have done that ad nauseum, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the schedule to me and putting yourself and having venues where you can put on a good entertaining product. And that is weeding out racetracks that don't do that. And that is where we are at now. That is my interpretation of the numbers. I think that's fair, but I mean, for all the talk that we see on Twitter and and I'm among this and obviously don't like, I don't like the philosophy behind the core package, but like Steve Phelps had his state of the sport press conference, right? And uh, his reaction to, the seven, I, I asked about this exact question, 750 versus 550. Why do you, I said, why are you sticking with the 550 philosophy and everything that goes into that with the next gen car when there's clearly like a loud portion of fans who really don't like the entire idea and concept behind it? And he said that according to their surveys, it's a vocal minority. Now, I'm not sure that I agree with that. I think if I was just to do a poll and say straight up, like, do you like the, 550 package, yes or no, I think it would be majority no, personally. But again, if you're voting on individual races compared to those, you know, and, and we're talking places like Texas, Kansas, even Homestead, stuff like that at Vegas versus how they were before, how they were perceived before, um, these numbers with this package are getting slightly higher number. Now, you could, and I could argue this too, is it worth the trade-off to make so many fans and drivers and everything angry that it's sort of foot to the floor kind of racing? I mean, that's a whole different debate, but if you're NASCAR and you're looking at these in some ways, you know, it's probably a win in some ways because you're like, Hey, look, we, we made this number go up and we sort of, and combined with the schedule change, like you said, which is a very good point. I think they've eliminated a lot of stinker races. Let's, let's Mm -hmm. quickly go to the, um, the worst 10 races, uh, of the season, which you have in front of you. And then I, I have some other information too on that. So this year, and I haven't even gone through this yet, but I just, I, I think it's going to prove my example of this as far, in terms of bringing up the, the bad races. So this season overall, there were only three races under 50%. That was the Coke 600, 48.5. Um, the 
Texas race, the playoff race, obviously the all-star doesn't count there, uh, 45.8. And the real stinker of the year as voted on by the fans, I think that was some 550 package fatigue at that point. That was 23.4. Okay. So that, that's the worst race of the year. I don't know if I agree that that was the worst. I, I would think Coke 600 might've been the worst race of the year personally. Um, you, you have any thoughts on that real quick before we move on to continue this point? To me, the second Las Vegas race is worse than the Coke 600 because of the stakes and what you're coming off of. It's the playoffs. You're coming off an incredible race at Bristol. We had the Chase Elliott, Kevin Harvick thing, you know, the great battle. It's short track racing and you're going all from that intensity and guys, you know, wanting to fight each other and angry. And you're going to a race at Las Vegas where there just was none of that intensity. And the, the, the drama was just, it was like, it was like putting a pin in a balloon and it just like poof. And I was like, oh, this is not what I want of the playoffs. This is not what the playoffs are supposed to be. So that to me is why Las Vegas is higher than the 600. Honestly, I came to terms with the 600 a long time ago. It is what it is. It hasn't been a good race for a long time. It's much too long. I get why 600 miles matter and you're never going to change that. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. To me, when it comes to playoff, I, I want a certain caliber of race. I want a certain level of intensity. And you didn't get that at Vegas. Okay. I stalled a little bit here to pull up these numbers. Uh, like I was saying, so there was only <laughs> three three races uh, below 50% this year. Last year, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight races below 50%. 2019, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten races below 50%. And to make matters even worse, four races below 30% in 2019. Some real, real, real bad races that year. Um, 2018, a, a, another bunch more. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 races below 50%. 2017, again, another pattern. One, two, three, four, five, six, eight. So yeah, so about another eight. So it, it goes on and on. So out of all the years that these, this poll has been around, for whatever reason, um, this year did not have a lot of like truly bad races where you're just like, man, this race, this sucks. You know what I'm saying? And uh, again, I think that the 550 package probably helps eliminate some of those reasons because let me go back to um, 2019 uh, where I'm looking at this here. So we've got some of the bad races were Homestead 2019. 30%, um, Texas, 45%, uh, Fontana, 37%, Pocono, um, well, Phoenix was the worst race that year because it was the 550 package on a short track, essentially, that penultimate race that made them change package. But um, the point is that, uh, I'll, okay, here's another example. Four out of the five, no, wait, one, two, three, the bottom six races of 20. 18. I wish I could show you this as I'm doing the podcast. Probably not good podcast listening, but the bottom six races of 2018 were all either two mile or intermediate track races. Right. Um, and, and I think that means something and I, I don't want to sit here and defend the, the package because, uh, the bottom five races of this year were also all intermediate, but they're not as bad as they were. Does that make sense? It does, but and I look at what I say about the schedule. And to me, I look at these 10 races that are on here. You've got six races on mile and a half racetracks. That to me says that that's the problem. That has long been the problem. It continues to be a problem. It's gotten better, but more work needs to be done. Um, also on the, risk, you, on the list, you've got two Richmond races. We, we have long talked about Richmond has been an issue where, for whatever reason, it is technically a short track. They, NASCAR has not been able to figure out a package our tire combination, our tracks, or, you know, all sorts of reasons that racing has just not been good there. And then you've got Daytona 500, which was bogged down by rain. And then after the long delay, the racing was just so, so it was kind of tepid. But again, I think there's other factors in play. And then you got circuit of Americas, which was just a complete, you know, rainstorm. And there's a lot going on there and, and people, there's a lot of anticipation going into that race and people weren't fulfilled because you didn't get quality racing that you want to see. Plus it was rain shortened. So I look at this and I say NASCAR's made strides with the way it's going in the progress. And you can talk about the packages, but at the end of the day, it's about the schedule. 
I agree. So what Jordan's referring to there is the worst 10 races. And I know we're jumping around here and I wish I had like a PowerPoint to, for you guys. Yeah, so we should do like, you should do like a PowerPoint presentation. You should be like <laughs> professor Jeff follow along here as, as a like, uh, little pointer we're talking, you a nice yeah. little hat. Um, so like I'm sorry if this is confusing to listen to, and I'm just like reading off these numbers and I'm sure you're <laughs> driving in your car and you're being like, what I'm so lost. But so with these, too. with these bottom 10 races, um, let me just read them in order from worst, uh, the worst one down to to list the bottom 10 Jordan referred to most of them already, but Las Vegas two, Texas playoff race, Coke 600, Atlanta one, all-star race, Richmond, Richmond one, Coda, Kansas playoff race, Richmond two and Daytona 500 to me is, uh, surprising to see Daytona 500 on the list. Um, in the bottom 10, uh, like you said, it was rain shortened or sorry, not rain shortened, but rain affected, um, ended up being late. And then there was big wrecks, obviously that left McDowell, um, as, as one of the survivors to win that race. But, uh, Richmond, you know, both Richmond races, hard to argue with them being on there. Coda. I mean, that was, that race was a, a total crap show. I mean, that was not a good show at all. I mean, and, and, and it was rain shortened in the end. Um, it, that wasn't satisfying for anybody. Um, Vegas, obviously for the reasons we talked about sucked. Um, Texas playoff race. I mean, t- both Texas races, if you include all-star are in the bottom five, zero surprise, a Coke 600. I already talked about that. Atlanta would have been, I think would have easily been lower than it was 50.6, but mm-hmm. Blaney caught track down Larson at the very, very end of a 500 yes. mile race. And that sort of made it exciting or redeemed it at least a little bit. But yeah, I mean, all these races, I mean, yeah, they, they belong on there. So, um, and as we were talking about to segue from our last segment, many, uh, intermediate tracks, but again, I hate, I don't, I don't want to be in the position of defending. The, Why Jeff? It's okay. Package. Open your heart to the package. I did. It's and okay. then it, it burned me. I, I tried, like you said, I, I gave it, I came in with an open mind <laughs> and I gave it several years. I tried to be an open, open-minded about it and I'm just kind of out on it. Like I just, the philosophy of it is what turns me off about it. And I want to see the the racing put more back in the driver's hands than um, mashing the gas and just trying to draft off each other, which is a different kind of skill. But, um, you know, anyway, um, we've we've talked about that a lot. The top 10 race of this year, um, Bristol night race, number one, not only number one uh, for this year, but number one all time in the poll, 95.7%. Still unbelievable that you can get over 95% of people on Twitter to agree on any one thing. I think that's fairly stunning and shows you how good that race was. Mm -hmm. Um, not only a good race, but then obviously all the Elliot Harvick stuff after, um, made that extremely compelling. And you were right in the middle of that, obviously. Hey Jordan, you want to post race? I don't remember. Do you want to play us the audio yet? (laughs) Uh, no, Jeff, I am not going to play the audio and no one has seen the audio. Just FYI. Even you haven't seen the audio. That's true. Uh, anyway, Martinsville, uh, playoff race, um, 92.7. That was obviously, uh, another epic one there. Um, uh, with all the the Hamlin and Bowman stuff at the end, Bowman ends up winning that Mm -hmm. Darlington playoff race. Uh, Darlington, Darlington just seems to keep delivering. Um, great tire wear. And and you talk about drive putting in driver's hands in Atlanta. I think that's the second Atlanta race too which didn't make that list, by the way, the top 10, which is really surprising because that was terrific. But it's a racetrack, tire wear. It's about drivers having to to put kind of tr- test themselves and ability to save their cars and equipment over long runs. And it's a great it's a great indicative of what stock car racing should be on a big track. Yeah. So it's interesting because up until the playoffs, for most of the year, because uh, the number four race, oh, it's a tie, um, so 88.5 for both Vegas and Martinsville, Vegas one and Martinsville one. So the Vegas Martinsville, that was April, May. So we went from May until September with those two races being the best of the year. And there wasn't like another great, like truly great race in that. In the meantime, we both you and I argued for New Hampshire at one point. We mm-hmm. thought that was going to be better than it was, but, and, and that made the top 10 list. Um, that came in seventh or eighth, but yeah, eighth, but, um, you know, that, that, the way that race started with the rain, 
um, marring the start of that one and NASCAR not calling the caution or, or starting the race when it was wet. Um, you know, that didn't work out. You know, I'm sure that that took a notch off that, but, um, so Bristol, Martinsville, Darlington, Las Vegas, one Martinsville, one, the Roval Roval seems to keep appearing on this chart over and over again. Um, Daytona two, that was a great race the cutoff regular season finale. Another second year in a row. Fantastic yep. race. Yep. That, Love that, that as a cutoff. Definitely belongs in that spot. And then New Hampshire, as we talked about with that Almirola win, uh, the first Talladega race that was won by Kozlowski. Yeah. And then uh, the clash on the road course, which I I, I remember like nothing about that, honestly. That was the one that jumped out to me in this list was it was fine. It wasn't extraordinary by any means. It was it was an interesting finish. You had Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney, good friends, you know, contact on the last lap going through the chicane, going the checkered flag and like, okay, but. There was no hard feelings. They both kind of just shrugged it off. I, I looked at that and I'm like, if I was going to take away a race, it's that race. I've easily thrown in the, the second Atlanta race in there. One of the two Pocono races, by the way, were both better, I thought, than the, the Clash, which I don't know if that's just people being excited that NASCAR's back and it's, you know, this, oh, they're going to race on the, the road course, not the oval this year for. That's the only thing I can think of. And you got the last lap drama there. But I, it's just, that was a race. I just like, yeah, it, it was fine. Don't get me wrong. Just wasn't top 10 worthy. Well, you mentioned the Pocono races. They they barely missed. I mean, um, Pocono won where Larson um, almost won the race, then Bowman ended up winning it. Um, that was the 11th race, 11th best, best race, and Pocono 2 was number 13. So, I mean, for Pocono standards, that's pretty strong. You know what I mean? Like, uh, mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily expect that, and I'm sure that helped boost, uh, boost Pocono's overall um, – <laughs> You know, actually, Ron H. as well um, broke broke down um, by track. If you want to um, hear about that, so this is this is a little bit hard, Jordan, to um, to go through because the races have sort of changed and it's not consistent data. Like, for instance, Darlington two, he has separated from Darlington one. Like, it's not just all Darlington. Mm-hmm. Like, he has Bristol Night Race separated from Bristol one, and like Bristol one doesn't exist right now. So, like. It's, it's, it's a little bit hard to explain this, but, um, as far as multiple years, um, let's say three or more years of having a race at that track. Um, do you want to guess the number one most consistently voted highest race? Do you want to guess? I would say Bristol spring race. It is actually the Roval. Roval. Okay. Makes sense. Yep. Roval's gone in its short history. The Roval's gone. 93, 87, 83.6, 87.7. So it's yeah. a very high average. Um, but right below that are the two Bristol races. Yeah. So And, I and mean, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, you, it, those at the Roll and the Bristol, you get intensity, you get wackiness, you get unpredictability. That's what people want. And then you factor in the fact that the Roval is a playoff race, a cutoff playoff race on top of that. That only heightens the drama. Makes sense to me why people have responded. The interesting thing I had to that is drivers have seemed to kind of push back on that race a lot. A lot you've heard a few times this year, drivers call it a you know, race in a parking lot, <laughs> um, which I, I understand their frustration. But I, again, if I'm looking at these numbers, I'm saying I'm sorry. This is obviously resonating with people, and we're going to continue to do this. This is much better than being on the oval. Well, I mean, certainly much better than being on the oval, and also when you have um, Elliot and Harvick getting into it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But even that, I mean, before that, though, I mean, you know, 2018, I mean, you had the, the, you know, Brad Keselowski, you know, leading everyone off into turn one into the wall. And and then one year you've got uh, the next year in 2019, you've got Bubba Wallace and Alex Bowman and you know, Elliot coming back after bouncing off the wall and rallying. It's just yeah, it's Elliot falling. going into it and then yeah. uh, coming back to win. Right. Yeah. I just, and, but but just... don't forget the don't forget the the uh, uh, the Jimmy uh, Truex yes. spin there, you know, yeah. uh you know, coming to the line where Blaney wins it. You get drama at that race. Yeah. Whether, you know, you can, you can say it's manufactured or whatever, but I mean, at the end of the day, this is what people want. They want to be entertained. And I, and I do think that the Roval does challenge drivers. We talk about, we just talked about how we want to see uh, drivers, uh, the best of their abilities. Well, this is a racetrack that pushes drivers and the best drivers, Kyle Larson this year, who won the championship, Chase Elliott, who won the championship last year. You know, these guys thrive in these situations and these are the best drivers in NASCAR right now. So 20, yeah. I'm counting something. So, okay. Oh, 
This is good <laughs> stuff. This is riveting, Jeff. You really should have done this. As, we should have done like this, this video podcast and you could have like done a little PowerPoint presentation. And- so a- as I mentioned, right, uh, Ron H on his website, he's broken this down by, by race itself, not just by track, but like, again, Bristol one, Bristol two, Darlington two. So it, it expands, you know, the, the amount of races, you know, it's probably like 40 or something here now instead of just 20 or whatever. Right. So if you take that into account, the first mile and a half track on here is ranked 21st, the number one mile and a half track, which is uh, race, which is Kansas one ranked above Homestead somehow. Um, I don't get that, but okay. Yeah. Kansas one has a higher average rating than Homestead. And, uh, but you have to scroll all the way down to 21st to get to a mile and a half track. So to your point about the track makeup playing so much into it, um, it's hard, no matter what package it is, it's hard to make these races compelling. Yeah. If it's on a mile and a half track, it's just, I mean, even Homestead, um, has had some stinkers. And in fact, you know, even when Homestead was a championship race, I'm, I'm looking at these numbers here. Um, you know, you had a, a 68.5, a 30%, which was honestly that, that Kyle Bush Homestead championship race in 2019. That was, that was a pretty bad race. It wasn't Nothing good. Really I think there was like one race. natural caution in that race. If that, and yeah, it wasn't it, good. It was not good. And if Martin Truex Jr. Doesn't have a, a pit stop that, still baffles me to this day where they put the wrong tires on the side of the car. Um, and Hamlin with his giant piece of tape. Yeah. It was just, that was a, that was a race that Truex was probably going to win going away. And it just, we never got that caution at the end that you were all looking for. Yeah. So, so I mean, as much as we all love Homestead, which I do. Sure. Um, anyway. No, I think to just, your point though, I mean, you talk a lot about NASCAR's reshaped the schedule and what are the two types of tracks that they have at, they're looking to at one is short tracks. And the second is road courses. Why is that? Because those consistently put on the best races. You look at the 10 races um, that were voted the 10 best races this year, three on short tracks, two on road courses, two on super speedways. That's not a coincidence. And that that just emphasizes why NASCAR is making this change. And people can criticize it all you want to, but when you look at the numbers, it backs up their, their, their path and their thinking. It makes sense. So uh, before we move on to F1, um, I do want to say that we're we're going to need some some of your help coming up on the podcast, and we want to do just as we did last year, Jordan. Um, we want to answer some of your questions, um, and we I don't want to put uh, put this call out on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like because then it'll just open it up to everyone. I want it to be our actual listeners who are listening to the show and want, and get their questions answered. I don't just want some random person to doesn't even listen to the podcast to have it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You so, don't like people. I get it. No, I just, I just want it to be a, a authentic, you know, like we're actually talking to you guys, the listeners, not just some anonymous person on, on Twitter. So anyway, uh, I'll give you my email address here. It is J Gluck, J G L U C K at the athletic.com. Um, I don't know if we're going to do the mailbag next week or the week after or whatever, answer your questions. We have a couple more ideas for off season podcasts, but we definitely want to do one episode where we devote it all to that. So if you have questions for us that you'd want to hear us address here on the podcast, um, shoot me an email again, jgluck at theathletic.com, And I will save your questions and we'll pick the best of those that come in, or at least the ones we feel like answering. <laughs> and uh avoid the ones wait for these how many of these are gonna be can you show the video what did harvick say to you yeah exactly exactly (laughs) yeah maybe maybe we'll uh you'll you'll be compelled to answer that then Uh, Um, anyway uh so please help us out with that for an upcoming episode um probably in the next week or two and um yeah so jordan now we're going to talk about formula one does that sound good awesome love the race love the weekend a lot of fun a lot to talk about let's do it so, uh, this is sort of like a de facto post-race podcast for formula one. Um, that race was this morning, Sunday morning. Well, I guess not this morning afternoon, depending on what time zone you're in. Um, <laughs> but, uh, man, I tell you what you go into this weekend and well, really you go into to Saturday's sprint race after Lewis Hamilton looks like he's going to win the pole for the sprint race. 
and uh, they found, you know, something going on with his DRS. The gap was too big. Inspector Max was inspecting the wing. Uh, got himself fined fifty thousand euros for that, by the way. But um, they said Mercedes, oh, no, you're you're cheating. And I guess ultimately, you know, if you read the stewards' report, you know, they kind of come down on the side of it wasn't really blatant. It was, you know, it, it wasn't. It was out of the specs, I guess, but you know, they made it out like it wasn't, it wasn't deliberate, you know, uh, whether you believe that or not, it it was so small. The margin was so small. It's, I don't know, but it it was not uh, approved, whatever the, the gap in between the wings there that that would open. Um, so Lewis Hamilton DQ'd from qualifying. That means he has to start the sprint race 20th. Plus he was taking a five position, uh, grid penalty for taking a new power unit. So, um, no matter what he did, he was gonna have to start five back. So unbelievable drive on Saturday drives from 20th to fifth in a 24 lap sprint race. What the heck? Like that's amazing. And then gets the five position grid penalty. So I start 10th for the grand prix, uh, today, Sunday, as we're talking and then wins it. And then he wins it. So essentially, as he said on the radio, he basically had a 25 position penalty overall this weekend and he overcame it. I mean, what a drive. I mean, just when Red Bull thought they had Mercedes on the ropes and this is the weekend where Max really pulls ahead and really maybe puts the dagger through the heart of Mercedes and Lewis mm-hmm. Hamilton and says, this is with three races to go. This is ours. Lewis comes back and wins it. Wow. What a statement. A big statement. And I agree with everything you said there. One, this, this stretch of races starting at Austin, then going to Mexico city, then going to Brazil really favored Red Bull. And this was the opportunity for them to, to, to grab the championship. And we saw Max do that at Austin built his point lead up. And it felt like, especially with everything going on with Hamilton and Mercedes this weekend, Red Bull had an opportunity to score a bunch of points. You add in the sprint race where there's more points available. And it was like, okay, this is Max's opportunity. And now he's going to put Hamilton on the back foot. And now Hamilton is going to need something to happen to Verstappen in the next few races. He's going to need some luck going in his favor. Otherwise, his championship's over. And instead, and I think this is interesting, this was a sprint race weekend. Without that sprint race, Hamilton doesn't win today. Because, And I don't think that wouldn't have been able to overcome 20th. That would have been, I mean, I'm not going to say impossible, but I mean, Unlikely, very unlikely. He honestly would have been lucky to get up to fifth. He would have gotten in the points. Probably. Yeah, he would have gotten points, but he wouldn't have won. Certainly wouldn't have won. It'd been tough. So he was, he was, it worked in his favor that he was able to have that penalty on Saturday for the sprint race and then charge back up and finish fifth. And then he only had to drop back to 10. Saved his spot. Really. I mean, honestly, potentially, if you're looking at this and Hamilton goes on and wins a record eighth championship, we're going to go look back on this weekend as when the, the championship was won and that there was a sprint race. Because without that, we're having a different conversation today, but kudos to Hamilton. The drive that he put on, it, it, it showcased everything about him. Patience, um, his willingness to, to set guys up and make passes uh, on a level that other people aren't. And I don't care uh, the garbage that people say about, oh, he's in the best car. He's got the fastest car. Great. It doesn't matter. You still have to go out and do that. Look at Botas and what Botas does in the same equipment. And it's not even close. Hamilton nice start. To, nice start for Bottas second, today. Second week in a row, by the way. Second uh, race in I mean, a row. Hamilton's just got to be back long. there going, oh, my God, you can't even hold him off for a corner. Just try to jam him up so I can catch up, please. Oh, my God. And, I, you know, Hamilton got a little – got criticized last week for criticizing Botas. And I was like, no, Hamilton's right. Like, you go back to Mexico, and, the, and I didn't get a chance to watch it because we were in Phoenix, and I had to go back and watch it. But that was a horrible start by Botas where he literally opened the door for Max to come through. And it's like you had one job. You had one job. Just hold him up and let Hamilton take the corner. And you can't even do that. And then today, again, he got beat. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, we, this goes back to the conversation we had earlier this year. Where like, if you're trying to win a world championship on the driver's and manufacturer side, you need both of your drivers operating at a high level. And Botas is not that capable. This is this is beyond him his ability. But it just shows. I like that moment. I like that moment, Jordan, where Hamilton comes on the radio and says after after he had pulled over yeah. for him and make and he says, "Tell him to follow me or tell him to yeah. follow me through or whatever." Yeah, right. Like he's going to be able to keep pace. I mean, no. He he eventually got third, which was good for him. Um, I think that was helped by uh, 
uh, pit strategy. I mean, there was a virtual safety car and he pitted right then. So he, he hopped over Perez and was able to hold that position. But, um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, there's a reason he's getting replaced. No offense, but it's going to be interesting to see what George Russell can do next year. And that'll be a better indicative of what a teammate should be in these kind of situations. But Hamilton was flawless this weekend in a weekend. He had to be, he didn't lose points. He picked up some points. Now they're going to a three race stretch where he and Mercedes should have the advantage. This was a big, big weekend. And I don't know how you can't watch this weekend and not be impressed with Hamilton and how we executed in a situation where a lot of drivers would have crumbled or they would have tried to do too much and overcompensating and put themselves in a position where they make a mistake. And then it just snowballs from there. Hamilton didn't do that all weekend. He just was patient, kept his wits about him and just picked guys off one at a time. A a brilliant, brilliant win. Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, they're so fast on the straightaways and sure. I, I don't know enough about these next two, uh, circuits that are coming up and I guess F1's never raced on them at all. So, uh, Qatar and Saudi Arabia are the next two. Obviously we've seen Abu Dhabi and they've even redone Abu Dhabi a little bit, um, mm-hmm. to try to make for more opportunities to pass, I guess. But I, but from what the commentators keep saying, um, on the sky F1 coverage and stuff that, uh, like Qatar and Saudi Arabia both favor like sort of that high power straight line mm-hmm. speed, which is what, Merce- I mean, Mercedes clearly what a great decision to take a new power unit. It seems Perfect. to be paying Worked off. Well, I mean, geez, like that thing is fast. So, um, if that's they the difference the rest maker, of the year, then where they don't have to take any more penalties. So. Yes. And I mean, to have the gap 14 points now with three potential races that should favor them. I mean, it's going to yep. be close. Even if max is doing the, uh, damage limitation or whatever they're calling it over there. Um, but by the way, we need to talk about this, this non-call. I, I agreed with the non-call, but I saw a lot of people on Twitter not agreeing with it. And the funny, funniest part was that after Christian Horner got on the radio to race control and was like, let them race, let them race. Did you see what was trending on Twitter? Yeah. Karen Horner. Karen Horner. People started calling him a Karen for hopping on there and you know because they said well you know silverstone or whatever you know oh lewis is driving recklessly he has to be you know punished all this stuff and then max practically drives lewis off the track which again i thought you know it was it was borderline you know i I didn't i don't want to see it over officiated so that's why i was fine with it not being a penalty but they all started calling him a karen karen horner was trending on twitter i was just like (laughs) wow that is something um but I don't know. I, I get that. Yeah, I guess I'm so skewed by a NASCAR perspective, Jordan, but I, I just sure. don't want to see every time somebody has sort of like a racy moment or a block or whatever, like you're going to penalize that like every single time. Like, no, like I'm, I, I was glad that they let that go. Honestly. I agree hundred percent with everything you say. I, I don't want officials to inter- interject themselves into something that doesn't need it. And this didn't need it. This was hard racing. This is a guy who, Two guys fighting for a race win, fighting for a world championship or going at it. You want those moments. That's what racing is about. And if you start over-officiating your, it and interjecting yourself and penalizing guys for every little mistake they do or for every little move they do, you're going to lose the essence of what makes racing great. I'm glad they stayed out of it. The only thing is, is just continue this way. Don't over-officiate. Don't interject yourself and step back and that, that I'm glad to see it. I, I don't want that. And I, you know, I go back to the sports car race, the IMSA race, um, Saturday, the, the 10 hour race at road Atlanta, you know, the officials stayed out of it at the end there and they didn't let the, the, the two cars in the DP class going for the win. Um, one of them went off track. One of them looked like he kind of came over and, you know, cut the other off. They didn't, it, it, they didn't put themselves in that situation and have to make a call. They just said, okay, that's racing. And obviously if it's egregious, then something needs to be called. But in these moments, no harm, no foul. That's what you want to see in racing. I'm glad that is the case. Hopefully, this is the standard going forward. I mean, Max is very aggressive, though. Let's not... They're both aggressive. Yeah, sure, sure. But I mean, Max is... um, I mean, he's... I feel like he's willing to put his car in situation... He's willing to be like, wreck me. I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, And and obviously, that's... They both collided, you know, on, on... based on neither of them giving an inch uh, at times this year. But I, I don't know. I just, 
I, I just think it, it, you know, you have to race it out. And it was sort of a ball don't lie moment anyway. Like Hamilton passed him and won anyway. And you got that great moment from Toto Wolf that's now like a meme of him like <laughs> pointing right at the camera being like, gotcha kind oh, of thing. Um, I, love, I love the rivalry between Toto and Christian. It's so good. And it's so natural. It, it isn't like they play it up. Like there is a general, there is just a level of animosity among them, between them. That is not, this is not fake. Like they generally, genuinely hate each other. Not hate, but they dislike each other. And they love to needle one another. And it's so fun to watch. Yeah. Well, um, you know, F1 or the FIA, FIA I guess, uh, you know, it's, they, they've just got to make sure that they don't lean one way too far because it did. I'm not going to say they were picking on Mercedes this weekend, but Mercedes was getting like a lot on them. Uh, and then even like the seatbelt thing at the end, did you see that? Yeah, I saw it. Oh yeah, I saw it. I mean, it, it's a little nitpicky. Come on guys. Like, yeah. you know, we're just talking about over officiating and you know, to not, I don't know. Yeah. He Hamilton only got a 5,000 euro fine for undoing his, his seatbelt. Oh no, the horror. I mean, come on. Like I, I love the fact though, it's like Mercedes is really leaning into it though, and Toto's leaning into it. You know, he said F him on Saturday after Hamilton right. finished fifth. It's like they're like, screw it. It's like kind of the us against the world mentality. It's like it's well, kind and of then they, they obviously wanted to Verstappen yeah. penalty. I mean, he Toto yeah. said afterwards that to not penalize Verstappen was laughable. Um, so I mean it's it's just gonna keep going like this. Love it. It's just gonna keep so going. Good. Three races yep. left, two guys, two teams that don't like each other, two drivers who are super aggressive and are at the top of their game, sign me up for it. This is so good. Do you think it's too late for us to uh, stash away in, in Kyle Larson's luggage? You know, Kyle Larson broke that news on last week's yes, teardown he that he was going to uh, going to Abu Dhabi, and uh, he didn't say we couldn't come with him. Um, so He likes I mean, you better than he likes me, so you could probably do it. Why do you say that? That's not true. you got a better relationship with him than I do. I don't know. No, we're it's he he's he doesn't uh I don't think he plays favorites. I, you just have a better rapport than than with him than I probably because I've been to some dirt races. I was gonna say it's definitely know. that connection. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm looking for flights right now to Abu Dhabi and see if we can swing it. No, Dubai is an easier flight. I, like I said, I went there for my for my honeymoon. Okay, uh, six years ago, so. Dubai's the better flight. I don't fly overseas. And then, so. and then, you know what, Jordan, as, as I did, uh, six years ago, you can actually take a bus very cheap, uh, public transportation. You can go from Dubai to Abu Dhabi. It's like a, it's a quick day trip. It's like an hour and a half or something. Quick ride. You should book this. Why don't you go? Well, the Dubai flight is, is a little bit of a hold up there, Jordan. <laughs> How much that's, do you think a flights? little bit expensive? I think I had to save for like three years to get enough miles to, fly to Dubai on that one. So, okay. And, and you, you have to connect through, uh, I had to connect through Amon Jordan. Um, you know, it's, it's a whole thing. It's, you know, the F one travel is not so easy. They're my friend. Um, so I'll, I'll for, fly to Nashville the race over there, by the way, I'm looking right now for flights. Oh, you are. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Jordan's going to go. Everybody is your no, passport no, I'm, not, I'm looking for you. I'm oh. not going, I, I'm definitely afraid of flying. So you are, you're, we're pushing you. Well, how are you gonna uh, get to these? Get to Abu Dhabi and all these Saudi Arabia races and stuff? No, no, that's your. This is your thing. You go cover oh, okay. Formula One. I'll handle the NASCAR stuff over here. Okay, okay, thanks, thanks. Appreciate that. You're the jet. Anyway, player. you love going these places. I do. It's who wouldn't want to travel the world? It's amazing. Me, I hate flying. <laughs> I hate it. Take a Xanax or whatever they, people take. I don't know what, what. What do people take who don't are afraid of flying? Uh, they have like me, pills for that or something. For me. Alcohol. Oh, okay. Lots of alcohol. Yeah. Okay. Um, Ben Rhodes over here, everybody flying, uh, flying to Abu Dhabi. Oh yeah. I mean, I can tell you a story when I flew to Hawaii, uh, which was an eight hour flight from Minneapolis and I was passed out within an hour because I drank so much. Cause I just hate flying. I'm so scared of flying, especially overseas, especially over large bodies of water and over like two hours. I'm just a mess. Okay, I think you watch too much Castaway or something, or oh, too much Lost so much. or something. <laughs> oh. Um. Anyway, well, while you look for flights, uh, welcome. Any final thoughts uh, on anything that you want to talk about this week? Um. No, I, I'm excited. Uh, I don't know if excited is the right word, but I mentioned at the top podcast. We've got the test this week. It should be entertaining, and it's going to be curious to see 
how that unfolds um, just because of really uh, this next gen car is still so unknown and, and there's so many variables involved and especially on a noble. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what this is going to be like these next, uh, the, these next two days at the uh, Charlotte motor speedway, by the way, it looks like you can get a flight for under $2,000. So really not bad, Jeff. Yeah. Good luck with your middle seat coach for like a 16 hour flight or whatever. Right, that well, doesn't sound too fun. So I shouldn't fly economy. Is what you're saying? I mean, that's a long flight, buddy. Let's see if I can with business. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that jumps up when you want to fly business. We're talking <laughs> like eight grand. Okay. Um, you I'm going to let you talk to the bosses okay. about this because I don't think okay. they're going to sign off. All right. Well, we just need Max and Lewis to keep it close, and then we'll, we'll just see what we can do. Anyway, uh, everybody, um, look, we, we feel like we tried our best with the NASCAR coverage this year, and obviously we're still trying – uh, Jordan just tagged along to, uh, Brad Kozlowski's first day at work there at yeah, Rush Fenway racing and wrote about that. And, uh, we're obviously going to try to keep the content rolling. So, um, and of course there's all the stuff you can go back and read. Like I had a Mike Helton story, um, Noah Gregson story that I, I was proud of things like that. I don't that. think anybody did a better job this year writing bigger, long, long form features than you did. You, the stuff you wrote this year was just brilliant. Oh gosh, I would not go that far. I would absolutely uh, go that far. The no, stuff you I'm wrote, the four big, what well, you wrote, like four or five big stories this year that just blow everybody else out of the water. Oh gosh, no, we're just we're just getting crazy here. No, no, I I'm think you might I mean, be in the sauce here. already. I, I appreciate the kind words, but listen, whether it was good or not, if you want to subscribe, please go to theathletic.com/slash the teardown. That's where you can find the latest deal. But in the meantime. Uh, we appreciate you listening. We were just looking at our podcast numbers and our championship edition was our number one episode ever. It passed the Jordan Bianchi Bristol spotlight episode that I thought would not be topped for a while. So man, it's so cool that you guys are embracing this and listening to this podcast. I don't know if you'll keep listening to it in the off season, but, um, we'll keep doing them for at least a few weeks. And, uh, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Appreciate it. Talk to you next time on the terrible